Thank you for downloading the Inspire Me Lecture podcast, brought to you by the University of the West of England. In this podcast, we are joined by Rob Lingham, Carnival Administrator for St Paul's Carnival CIC. Hello and welcome to the Inspire Me Lecture series. I'm Sarah Atkinson and I'm Head of Events here at UE Bristol and I'm here to introduce our speaker. Today we're going to hear from Rob Lingham. Rob is the Carnival Administrator for St Paul's Carnival. If you're new to Bristol, which I assume a few of you are, this is a hallmark African Caribbean cultural event that takes place in the heart of Bristol and attracts around 100,000 people to the area. Rob is an alum of UE Bristol, having studied an MSc in event management. Rob is going to talk to us about his strong sustainability ethos and how he is using his sustainable skills to work on a number of projects that will have influence in helping to reduce the negative impact of festivals, sporting events and outdoor events. Just to let you know that we will be recording this lecture, so it will be available in our speaker library afterwards. We will have a Q&A afterwards. Um, you can pose questions at any time. And enough from me, time to pass over to Rob. I do hope you enjoy his talk. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, thanks for attending my lecture. Uh, it's a real privilege to speak to you all today um, on my subject, which is looking at greening events and challenging people's perceptions. So a little bit about me, as, um, as Sarah's already said, I'm the Carnival Administrator for St Paul's Carnival. I'm also the Sustainability Manager for Red Fest Bristol CIC, which is a free community arts and music festival that's held in East Bristol annually every year. Um, as said before, my, my connection to you is that I did my Masters here in Event Management in 2017. This is a fantastic experience for me and really allowed me to develop and focus on sustainability issues throughout my course. Since uh, since I've done that, um, I've been working for a greener festival who are a not-for-profit organisation that help festivals and events across the world be more environmentally, environmentally sustainable. Um, as part of this, I've also assessed events including BST Hyde Park in London, Greenbelt Festival, and I was also assessing the Bath Half Marathon uh, earlier this year. Uh, so all told, I've worked in the events industry for about 15 plus years. So. In terms of challenging people's perceptions, um, I wanted to set the tone um, by looking at this quote from Jochen Zeitz. Now, perceptions are the way in which something is regarded, understood or interpreted. These are all absolutely individual to us all and are very much a result of our experiences. Um, and I think what's worth, what's worth noting here is that we are all products of our own experience. Um, my experiences very much shape the journey that I've taken from being an undergraduate to where I am today. Um, I actually did my undergraduate degree in sports science, so it goes to show that what you do at this stage of your career doesn't necessarily reflect where you end up getting to. Now, I was motivated to get involved with event sustainability, really after seeing countless poor examples of, of events and their sustainability from 2005 onwards. And this was that time when there wasn't really a link between events and sustainability. I got the feeling that it hadn't really gone through people's minds that events and sustainability could go hand in hand, even though nowadays it seems quite an established thing. I also ran a venue at Boomtown Fair. So for a number of years, I could see that although there were signs of improvement, it seemed like neither audiences or management really cared. And I, I guess made me want to intervene. So by 2015, I was very much ready to go full time into events, um, but I wasn't taken seriously. I already had an office job. And so there was no real depth of uh, event work on my CV. So. I looked at what master's degree courses that were out there at UWE and saw the, the events one. I felt that this would provide some really strong additional context and credibility to my work and help with that career change. So once I was on the course, and once I was enrolled, I really sought out practical applications for my learning, some part-time and voluntary roles that really helped run my experience, gave me further credibility. And what it did show me at this point was that you can make real progress on sustainability issues with just a small team, a bit of passion and a lot of drive helped me get a better understanding of global events, their impacts, and really allowed my skills to develop as an event professional. What I did notice was that all of our successes were the sum of small, positive efforts. And really, that was my preconceptions and perceptions that were being changed. So my key achievements have really all come at Redfest uh, in 2019. Um, this was my first event as de facto sustainability manager, rather than running it um, uh, with another with another person. So I was responsible with a coordinator for setting the results and objectives that we built upon that had already been some excellent performances in previous years gone by. So our new targets were focused on 
things like carbon footprint of attendee travel and production travel. Um, whereas previous years, the waste and uh, things like that had gone really, really well. So top of the list was to reduce the contribution of travel to our overall carbon footprint. Uh, we managed to reduce this from 9% in 2018 down to 7.8%. That might not sound like a lot, but in that one day event, we contributed over 15 tonnes of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. So that 1.2% that we reduced equates to about 180 kilograms. It's quite a lot. The key to doing that was communication. Nothing fancy, just a really clear campaign highlighting the fact that travel was our biggest impact and getting that out to the communities. We also looked at reducing things like car usage, which, which reduced markedly from the year before and inc encouraging attendees to either walk or cycle. Um, so we have an audience of about 20,000 people uh, and we saw that the numbers increased from 62% to 70% that were walking or, or, or cycling. We also improved the awareness of our major impacts and also did a, a, carbon, uh, a carbon footprint and a basic power analysis. So we measured the load and usage on seven generators across site, uh, which now means in future years, we should hopefully have less. Um, but that really poses the next question, which is, will there be future years? The perception now isn't that great, but I don't think it ever really has been. We're currently in a place where the, the weight of global events and the, and the climate crisis has never felt more serious than it is right now. Gus Speth, who worked for the United Nations, used to think uh, and consider that the top environmental problems were broadly societal. They're problems that are inherent with success, mobility and lifestyle. And so his perceptions were very much formed by his prior experience. But the world is changing. It's time for a new set of generation to have their perceptions changed. Your perceptions, maybe. This transformation that Gus talks about might feel impossible to achieve right now, but there are encouraging signs. Google searches, for instance, on how to live a sustainable lifestyle have increased by 4,500%. But is that enough? All of this was before COVID. Uh, and obviously, since COVID earlier this year, the events world has faced a, a crisis of unprecedented urgency. And it's one that we're facing largely alone. The global pandemic has seen a, a raft of new challenges for the event sector. And we're very much in a moment of peril that really raises questions beyond simply surviving or keeping the status quo. I guess we need to ask ourselves, what do we actually want the events world to look like when this is all over? Quite rightly, there's a lot of emotive talk of events being on the verge of extinction, the arts, the very nature and existence being in doubt. But it's very much key that this basic uh, human ability to create, participate and spectate is kept alive. We can't let this be wiped out from beneath us. Covid is essentially at risk of causing our society to become more isolated and disconnected both from the ongoing climate crisis and what it means to be human, which is to connect, express ourselves, gather together. Is, is that a future that we want? I don't think it is. Regardless of what happens on a micro level, the base elements of the events sector will continue to thrive. That's participation, community, liminality, co-creation, social impact, those sorts of things. But why are they important? Well, we need these events to continue to take place to celebrate and reflect the people and the places that they represent. So maybe let's consider a world where this perception on screen is real. To reduce the risk of another pandemic, do we choose to live in a society without hugs, handshakes and high fives? Do we choose to live in a society where we can no longer gather en masse and that the concerts, the sports competitions and the festivals become a thing of the past? I personally couldn't live in a world where any of those statements becomes true. So the COVID trauma uh, is and should be a force for good. It's a force for change. And as a sector, we've been under pressure for years. The pressure of this either turns you into dust or a diamond. The pandemic has shown what we knew for a while, which is that events really aren't operating sustainably. It's time for new strategies which focus on attitudes and behaviours and try and make a change. And for all this trauma, it is an opportunity for the event sector to engage in a period of introspection look at innovation, collaboration, how do we improve performances? So there are opportunities to adapt and create. You know, this is a chance really for us to rip up the rule book, blame COVID and start all over again. So it gives us the opportunity to be that transformative change. And part of being with other humans is part of that change, feeling normal to be gathered amongst each other. 
So events are essential in keeping human connections and inclusivity alive. They are, in some ways, cultural laboratories, areas and places where new strategies can be implemented and their effectiveness measured. So events have always had an important role to play in in human life, but will now play an even bigger part in renormalising that human connection that we've missed, missing celebrations and looking at ways that we can tackle climate crisis. One of the key things that's come out of COVID has obviously been the increase in PPE. Um, Between the end of February and mid-April, more than a billion items, a billion items of PPE were given out in the UK. Now, in a hospital environment, that's fine because they're treated as medical waste and they can be incinerated. But more and more, we're seeing these littering our streets and washing up on our beaches. And that is pushing us closer to the ecological disaster in the seas. So we all have this duty, this, this duty of care to ourselves and each other to not discard our PPE inappropriately. This shouldn't be something that I or we have to ask of people. It really should be a, a very much a minimum standard. So with all the challenges facing the event sector, they can be looked at as challenges or, or opportunities, really. So there are three key areas that I'm looking at that I feel offer not only a platform for growth and development, but can give us a positive approach to sustainability. So as we know, inclusivity and diversity are everything right now. I represent an African-Caribbean arts and cultural event. It's really important to our organisation and all of its stakeholders. So how do I make sure that everyone within our community feels represented, empowered and able to contribute? From an innovation point of view, as I've said before, this opportunity is for COVID to be challenged and met by innovation within the events industry. What can we look at in order to implement um, the new set of events without compromising delivery when they start to come through? And collaboration. Now, collaboration feels like it should be quite an easy thing to engender within the events industry, but it's not. How do we share resources and experiences and innovations whilst, whilst not losing competitive edge? So when sorting through these myriad of, of, of issues, it's worth remembering that we need to focus on each one individually and not try and tackle them all at once. So I'm going to do the same with these three. So as I said before, inclusivity is really important to events, especially community ones like St Paul's Carnival. By making people feel part of a bigger whole, it creates a feeling of responsibility and communitas, and they feel more likely to look after and preserve that bigger whole. Events really need to set out and ensure that the audience is as broad and representative as possible, certainly of the area that they are representing. So why should we not extend that to volunteers, supporters and workers of the events that we're working on? As organisations, we need to develop initiatives and begin working with our wider communities. So in 2017, the Think Tank Policy Exchange attempted to measure the extent of ethnic diversity across occupations in the UK. It showed that environmental professionals were the second least diverse area or profession in the UK, just 3% compared to 20% of all other occupations. So in my experience, those from ethnic backgrounds care at least as much, if not more, about the environment they're in than those from a white middle class or other backgrounds. This shows exactly why we all need to engage um, not only with ourselves and each other, but with the communities and ensure that the event industry becomes as representative, as welcoming as possible, and to as much of a diverse audience as we possibly can. In terms of innovation, there really seems to be a lot less fanfare for some of the more interesting and and, uh, the leading lights of sustainable innovation. Much of the stuff that's highlighted is reliant on power. We're looking at electric vehicles, batteries and renewable energy sources, which are all very much ventures, which I guess in some ways the ultimate gain is to make profit by pioneering those breakthrough technologies. So more often than not, those sustainable innovations go unheard of. So I'm thinking of the likes of the CO2 neutral toilet paper or the waterless toilets that are often seen at festivals that probably could be um, rolled out to wider Uh, audiences than just events. Events are also great for circular innovations, so this could also be a way forward. Digital Amsterdam, so it's a festival in Amsterdam, implemented a circular principle across their festivals in 2019, which included circular food courts, so that everything that was disposed of and used at the festival within the food court could be composted and reused by urban farmers. Brewdog um, have even taken to using uh, waste products from their brewing process and turning them into to dog biscuits. So there are opportunities out there for innovation and there are, there are organisations doing that. But perhaps the real innovations that we need to look at are the ones that will make change 
So these are the ones that focus on cultural and behavioural aspects, the ones that tackle selfishness, greed and apathy on a global scale. These are elements of inclusivity and innovation. And sometimes those two worlds collide. So this is a lady called Abena Poku Awur, who is a sustainable events producer and has been working in the industry for, for over 15 years. She's a consultant and founder of Legacy, which is a sustainable events agency. As part of that, they launched an online marketplace that enables event organisers to use sustainable suppliers wherever they may be. She was also responsible for one of the largest sustainable housing refurbishments in the country. So she's a, a real leading light in the industry. Now, in terms of what I think one of the most significant challenges for the events industry is in terms of being sustainable long term, is for more people like Abena to be seen in the industry, to be seen as a success and become an inspiration to the next generation of sustainability professionals. So as I've hinted at earlier, collaboration is one of those areas um, which should be quite an easy thing to engender. Unfortunately, uh, for most of us, sharing an idea isn't as easy as just snapping your fingers. Things don't just change instantly. As more people hear an idea over time, those can trickle into people's subconsciousness and permeate their thoughts. But collaboration within the events industry doesn't seem to come as easily. There's a lot of competition, not just for audiences and revenues, but in terms of um, competitive advantage, which means that some organisations are ultimately less likely to share their information or their experiences, which means that others can't learn from them. Success is also more closely guarded. And because there's less sharing of this amongst peers, you find that people are less willing and able to share information and work together collaboratively. Or if they do, they don't do it in, in quite such a sustainable or sensitive way. And that's where organisations and networks that engender sharing of information work better. I'm thinking of organisations like Agrina Festival, initiatives like the Vision 2025 um, events, um, collaborative from Powerful Thinking, um, and organisations like the Association of Independent Festivals, who will provide a conduit and a platform for everyone to share their successes and talk to each other about what they're doing and how they can do it better. From a carnival perspective as well, there are a lot of networks who provide a forum and a, a, an arena for us to be collaborative. Certainly in terms of what we're looking at doing in the coming months, it's giving us opportunities to talk about Arts Council funding, coming up with new ideas and ways that we can make Carnival uh, more sustainable long term. It's also a great time to be proactive in, in the downtime. And working and living in a city like Bristol, which is famed for its iconic and hallmark events, it really feels like there should be more of a, a platform for sustainability within the city. It's a former European green capital, but yet there is no professional forum for event sustainability in events. So I feel this is something that needs to be changed and it's something I'm really passionate about and it's something I'm keen to get off the ground. So what can we do? What can we do as individuals? What can we do as groups? Like many of us, you feel that the crisis coming up from the climate change is, is important. I'm doing pretty much what I believe I'm able to. I'm taking action. In terms of taking action, that can be just by living your day-to-day -day life in a more responsible way. That's recycling, buying ethically, making green travel choices, things like that. But in terms of the events industry, we've had probably one of our least impactful years to date. So we've given ourselves a bit of time and a bit of space to implement some new strategies and look at new um, opportunities to be innovative. There are already plenty of motivated people out there who are actively pushing and looking at ways to change behaviour and, and change attitudes. So really, it's an opportunity for us to follow their lead and try and set new precedents. Let's be as active as we possibly can. And ultimately, let's work together. Let's be collaborative. I feel we need to be both inspired and inspiring. We need to set good examples for each other and challenge perceptions. But we need to be inspired by our peers, by our colleagues, people that we admire. Um, and, and being inclusive is one of those things. I think in terms of challenging perceptions, the main thing that we can do is look at what we can do with the resources we've got. Let's make as much of them as we can and then share our examples and how we've done it with other people. It feels like now is a time to move forward. Let's make the events industry happen again. Let's bring people together. That's what we do best. It's really a time to look at it as a bit of a ground zero. We have an opportunity that we can't really afford to waste. And one of the reasons why we can't afford to waste that is because we need to support the events industry. This might sound like quite a strange thing to say, but it, it's real. 
the UK events industry supports around one million livelihoods and contributes significantly to the UK economy. Now, I'm one of the lucky ones. 12 months ago, I was coming to the end of working as a festival freelancer. I didn't have a full time job. I was very much out there um, on the edge of, uh, of anything that was going on from a, from a COVID point of view. But now there are people whose livelihoods are being put at risk, people who are not being supported. So for those of you that are looking at going or joining the events industry as a career and feeling rightly so quite apprehensive about doing so, my advice to you is this, all careers ultimately are volatile. We don't necessarily know what we want to do at the age of 21 years old, but we can start to take our journey. So all careers have an element of risk. But the reason why I took the step to move into the events industry was that I felt passionately about it. It was a calling for me um, and I wanted to feel that I could make a change and make a difference. And if you're not feeling that in what you're doing, or if you're not happy and motivated, then I think you probably are at a point where you need to look at what you're doing differently. And that's where I was. I was driven forward and motivated to be able to make a change in the events industry. So hopefully, potentially, I've made uh, a bit of a change with some of you. Hopefully I've been inspiring and hopefully some of you will start to take some of those things um, and look at the way that you can implement those in your daily lives, the way you see things, the way that you perceive things and the way that you maybe challenge some of the norms. And hopefully some of you possibly are the next generation of event sustainability leaders uh, and event professionals. So in terms of the takeaways from this, I'm just coming to the end here. I think there's sort of five key things that I found from, from my journey. First one is strive for, for progress, not perfection. Small things uh, or success is very much the sum of small efforts and small things. And if you believe in your actions, then your actions will have results. Don't try and tackle everything at once. Have some focus, uh, tackle them individually. Uh, and inclusivity and innovation and collaboration are really three of the key things that, that make that where we go. So thank you, everyone. I hope that's been, uh, I hope that's been interesting. Thanks, Rob. Um, that was really interesting, especially from an events perspective. Um, so I think there's, uh, I've published a couple of questions. So um, if you just want to go ahead and answer them. OK, so let's see what we've got here. So the first question is, do you think the government should be more actively involved in ensuring festivals and events are more sustainable? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I think ultimately, yes, they should. But I think, unfortunately, the uh, the COVID crisis and the government's response to that has really shown that the events industry is not really particularly high up on uh, the government's list of um, things to get involved with. Um, I think it's really up to ourselves to police the events industry. We have more knowledge and more experience than anyone in government will ever have. Um, and I think by um, looking at ways to audit ourselves, um, looking at different ways to measure the impact of, of our events um, and our impact on the environment, then I think we're, we are the best placed people to be able to, uh, to ensure that future events are more sustainable. But it takes a joined up approach. It takes every event from a grassroots festival through to Glastonbury to really care and to feel like they can make a change. And ultimately, if you don't have people within your organisation who feel like that, it won't happen. Um, I've been lucky enough to work for a number of organisations where people feel like that. Um, and I'm now coming into an organisation at St Paul's where in previous years they've not had people looking at sustainability. But with my experience, I can come in and I can make, hopefully, when we have a live event, um, on the streets, I can hopefully make a difference. So I think it's really one of those things that as individuals and as event professionals, we have we have the most power and we can um, we can certainly make the most change. Great. So uh, what's the next one here? So uh, environmental issues tend to be well focused these days, even by large bodies such as the UN. How is it that the biodiversity is very low when it comes to environmental professionals? Um, so uh, in terms of biodiversity, um, I think uh, certainly from my experience of working with a greener festival, the biodiversity of outdoor events is really important to the early stage planning um, and the policies that we that, that event organisers put in place. So it's one of the key elements of the marking criteria on a on an greener festival accreditation. You need to have a biodiversity report. You need to understand what your ecosystem looks like and what the event impacts. 
um, are going to be. So um, I think in terms of uh, biodiversity side of things, again, it very much comes down to individual uh, organisations and individual auditors to focus on that. Um, And hopefully that answers that question. Um, Right. Um, Wow, there's a lot of questions. So thank you for all of these. Um, okay, so, that, so when are festivals likely to restart again? Is there a possibility that other issues related to the environment other than COVID could cause further delay? Um, I mean, in terms of when are festivals and events likely to start again, it's really difficult to know. So um, I'm privy to, or I'm part of the uh, monthly events roundup that we have with the, the city council here. Um, and we've been given advice in terms of what events can happen and at what point um, with the R rate of infection, that that might start to have a, an impact on on festivals. The question, or the, the the point is that no one really knows. Um, our hope is that in six months' time, when we're into the spring, we'll have a much clearer idea of whether festivals and events can go ahead and on what set sky, size and scale, I should say. So St Paul's kind of always an open access event, which normally attracts 100,000 people into St Paul's. That won't be happening next year. I can pretty much hang my hat on that. However, smaller uh, contained events like Breaking Bread, which is happening up on the Downs, provide a, I guess, a platform and a template for other events professionals to look at and think, okay, we can hopefully start to manage our event. Things like the tests that have been happening in Germany in terms of seeing how um, infection spreads in crowds at at test music festivals and events is also interesting, but ultimately we really don't know. I'd like to think that next year there will be some live events and I think we're all positively working towards that and we're planning for a future that includes live events next year. But I think what's more likely is that there will be a lot of digital events that will be supporting and probably um, going hand in hand with some smaller live elements. And certainly that's what I'd like to see. I think, you know, there's certainly opportunity out there for us to be innovative and and try certainly within the Bristol ecosystem to try and find some sites where we can have COVID secure and safe um, environments that we can put on music festivals and things for you know numbers of people. Um, so yeah, that's hopefully answered that question. Um, the next one: What inspired you to get into the events industry after my degree? Um, well, I was already going to music festivals and events um i was a dj and i was running some of my own events so um i was going to festivals on on that basis um and as a as a as a just as a regular punter um and it was it was the fact that i could enjoy this incredible um new world of events um you know suspend my reality for a weekend and have some great time with some incredible people and do it in an amazing setting but then I guess it was seeing the impact of that, looking at the waste, the rubbish, the not necessarily the the destruction, but just how, you know, what was a wonderful green site would be covered in all types of litter and how people would leave their tents lying around. So I'm not a I'm not a tree hugger. I'm not a hippie. And a lot of people think that to be you need to have that sort of ethos to be um, in a, a event sustainability. You just need to have a passion and feel that you can make a change. And I I, I wasn't like horrified, but I just felt there's ways of improving this and there's ways of doing doing things better so almost looking at it from a you know a purely operational point of view what can how how can we look at this logistically and, and make change so I guess it was just by being part of that and feeling like it'd make a difference was was why I, I felt like I needed to get into that after my degree um okay the next one do you think that festivals could be used to trial plastics made of biodegradable materials have stalls with biodegradable cups for drinks um, absolutely. Festivals are a fantastic test bed and laboratory for things to be tried. And some of the innovations that I've heard about at various events conferences have been truly remarkable. There are people out there that are working on a, a plastic made from a sort of seaweed material that you could pop a capsule into your mouth and it would contain water and that would be a way of hydrating you. But that capsule is biodegradable and naturally uh, a natural plastic of sorts. Um, in terms of biodegradable cups, at the moment there's lots of biodegradable vegware, vegware plastics, but unfortunately they're not compostable in regular compost compost streams. For instance, your your brown bean and your compostable bags they're not able to be um, 
uh, decomposed and, and compostable in the same way. So that's where we really need to take either this to industry or find a way around that. Again, one of the things I'm really conscious of is that we have so many events in the city in normal times, which are all using vegware and, and biodegradable um, serveware. But there's no way of collecting that and using it and, and, and making sure that it goes into the right waste streams. So it feels like there should be an opportunity for an organisation out there to handle that waste on a Bristol front um, and use that waste and ensure that it's biodegraded in the right way and that it's composted in the right way. So it is a bit of a circular economy, but that all of Bristol is feeding into that, all of the Bristol events, um, all of the Bristol venues, that's going to take time. But if we start to you know, have conversations and see what's possible, set a bit of an agenda, then I think it, it could be a really good thing. But ultimately, we need festivals and events to happen to be able to trial these, because if they can be trialled in a, a festival of 10,000 or 20,000 people, then you can start to scale that up to looking at larger populations of people. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity and, and it's one that I'm really I feel really strongly about. OK, the next question is, how do you think more ethnic minorities can get into the events industry? That's a really tough question. Um, and believe me, if I had all the answers, then um, I would be doing everything I could to, to promote them. I think in, sh in the short term, it's all about people that have a passion um, being involved, um, whether they're from any sort of ethnic background. I think the great thing about festivals, certainly over the last five years, is that the I guess the diversity and the ethnic diversity of attendees has certainly broadened. That's something I've been aware of, and I think it's a great thing. I think it's really important that we do that. And I think it's just about having a motivation, having or caring or feeling, you know, empowered to to make change. So if there's anyone out there who feels like they can that they want to join the industry, then they should do that. They should put themselves um, forward for roles. They should, you know, there are companies out there that are looking to um, be more diverse and more inclusive. Certainly from a St Paul's Carnival point of view, um, part of my role is to make sure that I'm paying it forward and that the next generation of um, Black, African, Caribbean um, sustainability or event professionals gets a, a platform and an opportunity to learn um, their trade, let's say, uh, something like St Paul's. We're a black-led organisation, so we need to make sure that we are ensuring that we're diverse and that we're inclusive and that people who have a talent or an experience or an interest in those areas get the opportunity to develop that. So again, if there are you know, people that want to become involved in St Paul's, then there are opportunities to do so. Um, we've got a volunteer pool. We're going to start looking at ways that we can take um, elements out to the community, whether that's uh, technical, whether that's sound systems, whether that's sustainability, you know, whether that's carnival arts, there are you know so many different facets that we're involved with. Um, and we want to ensure that we're you know putting that talent or developing the talent that's in Bristol and in this in the community. So um, in terms of getting more people like that into the events industry, um, if they're out there and they want to get involved, uh, then the first step is, is is making that that first step, really. Uh, how do you feel about the future of events if COVID continues to be a risk? Um, again, it's a good question. I guess it's I feel I feel mixed about it. I feel that it is a threat and I feel that we are very much in a position where COVID is becoming a real problem for the events industries long-term survival however it will survive there will always be events they may not be on in the same scale and way that we're used to with the same number of people but believe me in terms of the conversations that are going on in the background in terms of how people are trying to be innovative working together with public health with the, the city council to try and make things happen in a covid safe way now obviously we're very much at the uh, I guess we are waiting for some sort of vaccine or something that will, you know, slow down um, or, or reduce the threat of COVID. But there may well be other, you know, there may be other pandemics in the future. Um, so in terms of in terms of the future of the events industry, it, it is as secure and as safe as the people that are are, are in it and are pushing to to keep it that way. Um, but I feel positive. Um, you know, I'm one of the lucky ones who has a full time job currently. I know plenty of people that don't have a job right now but we're sure that events will come back because 
it's what we believe in. It's what it's what we've worked in for for years. Um, and you know, for the government saying that musicians and events people are not viable, I think they're they're, they're grossly mistaken. Um, and if we're all positive about it, um, then we can prove them wrong. Okay. Um, do I have any ideas for socially distanced events? Uh, yes, uh, we do. We are looking at uh, ideas for socially distanced events. There are already some great examples out there in terms of drive-in events. Um, one of the partners that we have at St Paul's Carnival is a company called Redwood Events who look at crowd management and they've been involved with a number of drive-in um, and modular events where you have either a podium or a, a specific area. Um, I saw today that Greenwich Comedy Festival was going to be running with socially distant areas for people to sit in. So, you know, it doesn't take a huge leap to to do that. Um, there are other other potential interesting areas where where the event is almost like a safari park, where it's not the the carnival floats that are moving or the events that are moving. It's the audience. The audience is passing through the event. So. We feel like it feels like we are a little bit slow in Bristol, perhaps to some of other areas of the country in terms of the events and the, the dynamicism of the events that are coming up. But there are plenty of great examples of people being innovative and coming up with great ideas in order to have events that are both socially distant and COVID safe, but also exciting and creative and, uh, uh, and really, um, you know, bring a, bringing us all together. So, yes, it's definitely something that we're looking at. Um, okay, how can we dispose of surgical face masks, PPE, in an environmentally friendly way? This is a good question, but I guess in some ways this is kind of the problem. This is almost an oxymoron. There is no environmentally friendly way necessarily to dispose of things. And, and, and ultimately this comes down to the throwaway culture, it's the convenience versus uh, the reuse. So I myself have um, bought some face masks, but I did my research. I bought mine from a company that pay it forward. So for every mask that I bought, they get donated a free one to someone who needed it. I also checked in terms of their materials and their manufacturing just to make sure that, you know, they were as ethical as possible. But these are reusable masks. I know plenty of people who have made their own masks and continue to do so. They wash them, they reuse them. So the surgical face masks, I don't think, I, I am, I can, well, I'm open to criticism here, but I don't think that they are 100% guaranteed to be, um, you know, to you know, block the virus, let's say, but they mitigate it, they, you know, they are a, a barrier. So ultimately I would, encourage anyone unless you're absolutely in the front line and require wearing surgical masks and latex gloves then to you know reuse and repurpose what you have how many of you have gloves that you've used for the gym or gardening or diy that are adequate more than adequate um, forms of ppe if you just reuse them in a different way and the same of scrap materials um, old clothes, you know, they can be repurposed into into masks, and and therefore those are things that that don't need to be dis, uh, disposed of um, in an environmentally friendly way because they can just be uh, used for as long as is necessary, and then you know further further down the line, they mostly or hopefully would be natural materials which are going to decompose and and, and break down in a in an environmentally friendly way. So it's just about thinking about your perceptions um, and understanding that there's always a slightly different way to do things. You don't need to buy, uh, you don't need to, you don't need to consume. There are ways around it. So it's just about reframing things and thinking about things just slightly differently. But that's a really good question and thank you for it. Um, okay. So what are the main constraints of sourcing from environmentally friendly suppliers? Again, another great question. Um, there are lots of constraints in terms of uh, sourcing from more sustainable or environmentally friendly suppliers. These can be things like cost, availability, um, you know, in terms of the suitability for, um, for the event. Uh, and again, there's some incredible um, innovative uh, things going on there, you know, and, and they can be more environmentally friendly because of 
their nature, not necessarily by their function. Um, so what I mean by that, if we take loos and sanitation as a as a broad broad church, sure there are the porta loos, which are the plastic chemical toilets that we all know and love, and have probably at some point possibly sweated in on a hot sunny day. They are possibly the least friendly solution, and you have a sliding scale of things where you know you can have modular waterless toilets which flat pack. You can have your compost loos, which again mostly flat pack and when I say they flat pack or a modular it means that you can get more of them on a trailer going from A to B so from your depot to the festival site and back again the reason why that's more sustainable is that that's using less diesel that's using less um, less travel miles so you're already reducing even the supply of them let alone the chemicals that are involved in terms of the waterless toilets obviously then you're not using water for sanitation you're reducing your water usage, which is obviously good for the environment and your carbon footprint as an event. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, the, uh, the the compost loos, again, all of the natural material, um, all of the compostable material is taken away and then in, and then used. All of the water and other things that can be pumped out are then pumped out into a grey water tank, which can then be um, uh, treated uh, appropriately and then you know used again or go into the the water source um, so you know there are lots of different um, uh, options out there but ultimately on a festival weekend if you take Glastonbury as a shining example on that weekend most of those um, supplies will be allotted or potentially allotted to Glastonbury so any other festival trying to use those um, technologies might not be able to because of a scarcity of resources. Um, in terms of the cost, certain things do cost a bit more. So um, if we take LED floodlights, for example, you can get um, generator or LED lighting towers which have an inbuilt battery generator, which are way, way more sustainable than the diesel generators and normal lights that you might see at a festival campsite. But again, there's a scarcity of those. There's only a certain number. So there are a number of different things that that will play havoc with your um, your procurement from a from a festival point of view. But the thing here, and what's really important, having worked on a um, an entirely volunteer led festival, which is Redfest, um, I work really closely with our procurement guy in order to make the very best possible purchases that we can for our festival. So it's not just about what's cheapest or what's the most environmentally friendly. It's trying to make the best out of what is available so um, we will always try and use local suppliers over suppliers that are based at the other end of the country if we have an option um, from two different suppliers we'll weigh up a whole different batch of things such as travel miles such as costs such as carbon footprint and things like that in order to make the best possible purchasing decision and sometimes that isn't necessarily the most environmentally friendly way or what appears to be on the outside but there's a rationale behind it. It's been given some thought. Um, we thought about what we can do differently in future years and potentially look at new options. So in terms of the, the constraints, it will always be time. It will always be resource. It will always be money um, and it will also be availability. But ultimately, these are all decisions that people have to make. Um, and I'm not here to preach and say that people are doing things wrong. Um, I'm really here to say let's challenge some preconceptions and let's try and look at doing things a little bit better because by doing lots of things better over and over again, um, positive actions makes us feel successful, makes us feel more likely to, to repeat those actions. Our audiences feel more empowered. You know, all of these things, it's a, a great big snowball effect. Um, and I think certainly that is, is all part of it. So again, great question. Um, is there a way to promote healthy competition alongside collaboration? Uh, that's a really good question. And the simple answer is yes, there will always be a way to promote healthy um, competition. I think ultimately collaboration needs to happen in the first place. And again, I'll take carnivals as a really short, uh, really sorry, small example of, of, of something that I've seen in the short term. So the carnival network across the UK, there are probably in terms of the large events, there are probably key ones in Luton, obviously Notting Hill, the St Paul's Carnival. Um, I think there's four in the East Midlands. So there are lots of, um, you know, broadly speaking, African Caribbean carnivals. Now, 
I thought or I felt rather, you know, quite wrongly before I, I, I joined the organization that there might be, you know, a certain level of protectivity over, um, you know, what they were doing and, and maybe not wanting to share resources. But to be honest, it's been so open and so collaborative. It's incredible. People are really keen to work together to develop some new ideas. So, you know, how can we reduce the number of generators that go on the back of our floats? How do we make the floats um, more environmentally friendly? How do we use electric vehicles? How do we reduce the sound systems and the power that's required to drive those sound systems? How do we, you know, reduce, reduce, reduce while still keeping it true to our carnival routes? So I think in terms of that, we're all coming up with ideas. There's all this sort of healthy competition is probably the wrong word. It's, it's kind of like spurring each other on to be better, to do better. Um, such and such carnivals looking at this or they've you know they've used this um, this company who you know have composted all their waste or you know there's lots of different things going on we're, we're all individual organizations with our own set of stakeholders and, and and targets but we're all trying to improve our performance but also work together so there is a way of doing it it's by being open it's being by being collaborative it's by sharing ideas and not being afraid of that i think i think fear is the one thing that drives and inhibits uh business and progress in equal measures um i don't think we can overcome fear it's a pretty basic human uh, emotion but again hopefully that kind of covers um part of that okay let's take another question here how can innovation be promoted without being dismissed? Um, I think innovation, all innovation, all um, everything within that sphere needs to have sound data and um, workings behind it. There needs to be there needs to be a a, a methodology. There needs to be a, a, you know something to back up the. Um, to back up the claims that are being made so that you know people that are specialists in a particular field can see that you know that these innovations work or that it has this effect or that effect um, and that people that are maybe not experts can understand that and, and I think that's really key and I think that was one of the things that I really got from my doing my dissertation uh, at UWE was that I wanted to look at particular elements of behavior and of attitudes and I wanted to make that from an academic point of view, I want it to, to be respected and understood and at a really, really high level. But at the same time, I wanted to be able to take that to the events industry and say, hey, look, this is what's happening. This is how your attendees feel or this is how their attitudes are in terms of sustainability initiatives or their general um, feelings towards environmental friendly behaviours, both at home and in a festival setting. So it's it's really important to strike a balance so that you're not you know, confusing people with jargon, but at the same time, it's understandable, it's scientific, it's data driven, and and ultimately that it's it's something that you can kind of hang your hat on and be like this. You know, you know, we've got the data to back up our claims. Um, so innovations, you know, if they're good, if you've got if you've got ideas, speak to people, talk to people. They'll be your best sounding board. People that know, people that have maybe looked at that or maybe not looked at it, um, and just by getting. Um, you know, having a discourse, having a dialogue with people, understanding their thoughts, their views. You know, there are so many things that that you can do in order to make your innovation um, credible um, without being dismissed. So it, it, it's really up to the individual, I guess, is is what I'm trying to say here in a very waffly roundabout way. So apologies for that. OK. Um, so, OK, this is a good question. What is your view about the connection between sustainability and adopting a plant based diet? Um, well, we all know that um, meat production, uh, food production in general is a huge, huge drain on resources and contributor to the climate crisis. Um, as a self, well, as a carnivore, as a meat eater, I have certainly looked over the last few years at reducing the amount of meat in my diet. And I know that festivals like Shambhala have gone the whole hog, uh, no pun intended, and have completely eliminated meat from not only their crew catering but from their on-site catering so that's a huge step it's 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 really putting a line in the sand and saying hey we really believe in this and 
everyone at Shambhala and Kambay should be totally applauded for that because it went exceptionally well. You know, there was a little bit of, um, you know, a, a little bit of negative rankling, but people could bring their own meat if they were absolutely determined to eat it. So I think there's, there's a very clear connection. I think, you know, in the next five to 10 years, there's probably going to be a more, uh, a more of a drive towards plant-based diets. Um, I personally, I don't think I can go the whole hog, but, you know, I think for, it's, it's a choice out there. It's a lifestyle choice for everyone. Personally, um, there are other things I do in my life that are my sustainable choices. Um, so it's not for everyone, but I think that there's a there's a real connection there. I think that it's a, a great way um, to help the environment. And ultimately, as I've kind of said before, if we're all doing little things, we're all being positive, taking actions, then we're, we're moving in the right direction. You know, I feel certainly you know, of my generation of the of the 35 plus, you know, sustainability in the environment was never a big deal. It was never a, a real calling card or a cause for concern. But for but for the generations and for the, you know, for, for your for your age group and for your generation, it's a big thing. It's a real emergency. And it's something that I'm, you know, I love seeing how passionate people are about it. I feel I feel motivated to, to make more changes in it. And uh, you know it, it, that's great you know having having that sort of motivation and having that example set by people that are you know that are you know younger than you and that are as inspiring as they are you know it's it's a great thing so you know it's certainly it's certainly something that shouldn't be dismissed and I think it's you know it's a personal choice. Hi Rob I think we might draw to a close on that note yep. thank you <laughs> I know there's, uh, there's loads of questions always always need more time but um, thanks very much. That was really interesting. I hope everyone enjoyed that. Um, the recording will be available um, online. It will be promoted to you once uh, all. Um, you can check the social our social media channels. We'll be putting them on there. So um, it just leads me to thank Rob for joining us. Um, and yeah, it was really interesting. Thanks so much, Rob. Thanks, everyone. Hope that was useful. For more information about the Inspire Me Lecture series, including other podcasts from the series, visit uwe.ac.uk slash study slash block dash zero slash inspire dash me.